Hey, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. While you're on your phone, why don't you follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. We want to stay connected with you throughout your week. Our prayer is that this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus. So without further ado, here's the message. Why don't we go ahead and, and get started? Thanks for, uh, for hanging out with me and uh, let me pray for us. I hope you've had a great Wednesday and um, thanks again for sharing, sharing your time with me. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for um, walking through life with us. God, we are not alone. Um, and, and that is so refreshing and so reassuring that you go before us, behind us, above us, around us, in us. Lord, we, 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 we are in your presence 24-7. So, Lord, as we gather tonight, we, we ask your peace be upon us. We ask that, Lord, as we talk about doctrine tonight, as we talk about uh, what we believe about the Bible, that you would uh, just help me uh, teach effectively and clearly. Lord, help us to walk away uh, with one takeaway. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, hey, so I, uh, so I wanted to do a little quick recap of last week. It, yeah, I felt I drove home and I'm like, man, you were so, I hope somebody, I hope you all come back next week because I feel like it was drinking out of fire hydrant, right? Just, we went through all kinds of church history, but, but I wanted you to know where we come from as a church. And we talked about, you know, the church started out, you know, and it was pretty, pretty on track. Uh, two things kept it on track, persecution and the teaching of the apostles. And uh, boy, the church did some amazing things during that season. I mean, just church grew exponentially and uh, we call that the purified church. And then we talked about how um, when Constantine became emperor, he, he made it easy. You get tax breaks if you're a Christian and you move up in the military if you become a Christian. We give land to you if you become a Christian. And so, I, I, one of the things I left out, like, like in a, a time period of like two generations, the Roman Empire goes from about 10% Christian to 90% Christian because of all these, because it now pays, right? But we talked about because it's so easy, what happens? The doctrine breaks down and the leadership breaks down. So it got corrupted. And we talked about that church, you know, lukewarm leaders, lukewarm doctrine. And then there was this big, you know, reformation with Martin Luther. And, and again, in the, in the dark ages, there was just one church. <laughs> the doctrine was, was pure because that's what the church taught, but, but there was just one. And then in the reformed church, it was all about, we need to give the Bible to the people and we need to, uh, you know, it's not about one church, not about your label. It's, you know, Jesus only, but then people started to divide and then we kind of talked about the restored church and that's kind of where we come from. Again, it's not about your denomination, but we stand on the scripture where the, where the Bible speaks, we speak, where it's silent, we're silent, but in all things love. And, and so uh, that's, that's kind of where we come from. So that was, that was kind of our history. So tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about our theology, our doctrine. What do we believe? And I'm, I'm here today to tell you that is important. Whether you land in our church or whether you land somewhere else, what that church believes, what they stand on is, is really, really important. Every church really boils down and you can break it down into one of three kinds of churches. And the first kind of church 
that you'll find is a Catholic church. Now again, let me, I, I went to St. Francis, I went to St. X, where are my Catholic friends? Okay, yeah, so, so we, some of us come from that tradition. And again, and there's, 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 not, you know, there's nothing wrong, like, I, I, I don't want you to ever think that I'm ever attacking someone's tradition, I, but I just wanna, I wanna show you the differences, right? So in a Catholic church, how it operates is there's two sources of authority. There's the Bible, and I have a lot in common with conservative Roman Catholics because conservative Roman Catholics believe in the virgin birth. They believe in the miracles. The miracles were actually miracles. Right? Jesus actually lived, right? So, so I have a lot in common with conservative Roman Catholics. Where we, where we will <laughs> diverge is in the Catholic Church, there's a second source of authority, and that's the Pope. Or, or the councils, and, and, and the Pope rises to the same level as the Scripture, right? So if the Pope speaks from the throne, ex cathedra, if the Pope speaks, boy, it's like it was in Matthew. It's like Matthew speaking. It's like Jesus speaking, right? And um, let me give you some for examples, right? So like in the Catholic Church, um, we, we prayed to the saints, now, now, right here is St. Joseph. Now, my, my, St. Joseph, you know, Joseph, the father of Jesus, was a carpenter. Well, in the Catholic Church, we have patron saints. And St. Joseph was the patron saint of the realtors. And so my dad, anytime he wanted to sell a house, he'd go to the Christian bookstore, buy a little statue of St. Joseph, go to the front yard, dig a hole, and bury him upside down. <laughs> I don't know why you buried him upside down, but you buried him upside down, and you prayed to St. Joseph that the house would sell. If you lost something, there was a saint that you could pray to to find your lost possession, right? So, so in the Catholic Church, now that's not a teaching of the Bible, that was just a teaching of the church. Now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, it's Christ Jesus. I don't pray to Joseph. I don't pray to Mary. I pray to the Father, I pray to God through Jesus, right? So, so again, that's an extra biblical teaching. The doctrine of purgatory. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? About this place where you go to be purged. No one, everybody who dies is sinful, so you got to go to boot camp and be purged of all your sins. But we read in the Bible that the Bible says, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So there's no sin to be purged from, right? So the, the teaching of purgatory was an extra biblical teaching, but because it came out of a, of a conference or, or the Pope, it's like it's scripture. So it's extra scripture, right? Extra authority. Um, the celibacy of priest. Uh, you know, pri priests can't marry. What, which apostle do we know for sure was married? Peter, because Jesus healed his mother-in-law, right? So, so, so there. So, so I'm just showing you, like, like, like. So there's, and again, I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, the Catholic Church, you'll have the Bible is authoritative, and then the teaching of the Pope or the teaching of the Church. So that's that's one kind of church. You'll have another kind of church called a liberal church. Again, in a liberal church, there are two sources of authority. We have the Bible, but we have human. Human logic or human wisdom, right? That, that's a source of authority as well. Um, now, you'll never drive down the road 
and see liberal in the title. Like you'll never drive down and see liberal Lutheran Church of God. <laughs> it's typically not in the, the name of the church, right? And, and when you go into a liberal church, it's hard to, 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 to distinguish that because in a liberal church they will use Bible names and Bible terms and Bible, right? But if you listen close enough and you stay long enough, you can tell because human logic will rise to the same level as the Bible. And, and you'll hear stuff like, the miracles of the Bible weren't real miracles. Uh, they, they, teach us, they teach us a lesson. Because the supernatural doesn't occur. So, so the feeding of the 5,000, do you know the story? Jesus is out and about and, and He says, the disciples say, send them away, they need something to eat. Jesus says, well, let's feed them. We don't have anything. We'll find out what we have. A little boy came, I have five loaves and two fish, and Mr. Jesus, you can have my lunch. And, and so, you know, J Jesus, how are we going to feed? And Jesus didn't multiply. He didn't do anything miraculous. When that little boy gave his lunch, everybody who was there had their lunch tucked under their tunic, but they weren't going to share. But because little Joey shared his lunch, everybody went, oh, I'll share my lunch too. And Harry over there said, well, I'll, I'll chip in my lunch too. And, and if we all chip in our lunches because of the little boy's you know, compassion, everybody chipped in their lunch. They had the big potluck and everybody ate. That, that, that's how a liberal will explain. It was a miracle of the heart. You'll see this on Discovery Channel. We will explain to you how Moses parted the Red Sea. It wasn't a miracle because miracles don't happen. What happened is a mighty wind was blowing through the land and, and if they hit the, the air hit the water just right to where it just barely parted. And so it's a natural explanation. Right? So in a liberal church, you can't take the supernatural at face value. You've got to figure out how it happened. So, so that's, that's, again, the Bible, human understanding, and if they ever collide, human understanding will trump the Bible. It doesn't happen just with miracles, it happens with doctrine. Marriage. Oh, marriage between a man and a woman, that's so old-fashioned. That's so archaic. That's so ancient. What the Bible really meant to say was, do you see what happens? Um, stuff like, God is not a man, God is a she. Gender is whatever you want. You know, nothing wrong with adultery. So, so again, you don't see it in the, in the signage, but you will hear it. You will hear it uh, if you listen close enough. So again, liberal church, two sources of authority, the Bible, human understanding, human logic. Like Jesus, Jesus was just a, really a man. He was a good man, right? But, but deity, you know, there, there are some churches that will not will not confess the deity of Jesus. So, I mean, it, it takes, it, it, can, it can leak in lots of different ways, okay? And then there's, there's a, a third church we call it Evangelical Church. And if you ever hear the word evangelical, it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, in an evangelical church, there's only one source of authority. It's the Bible. That's it. The Bible. It's not the Bible in this book. It's not the Bible in this council. It's not the Bible and, you know, it's just, it's just the Bible. Like, like, there's only one source of authority and that's the Word of God, the Bible alone. And I love that fact that we, we, we have one source of authority and it's, it's, it's the Scripture. I love that because I've been wrong in my life before. Have you ever, have you ever been wrong? 
if, if logic becomes my God, if another man or another group of men become my authority, th those men, my heart, my feelings can be wrong. Look at what the Scripture says. There's a way that seems right to a man. I, I'm sure there are lots of people who, who really believe what they're doing is right. So it seems right, but it leads to death, right? You're, you're, and so we come back to, it's the Word of God that is trustworthy and true. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when we approach the Scripture, it's, it's like, what, what do we do? Well, what does the Bible say to do? I don't have editorial rights. There are things in the Bible that I can't explain. There are things in the Bible that really sometimes don't make sense to me. But, but I, I didn't write it, and, and I don't get a chance to edit it. It's the Word of God, so i got to trust it, right? I trust it. I stand on it. I lean on it. So that's what we would call an evangelical church. So what I want to take you through, what I want to take you through is I want to take you through the nine big boulders that we would want you to look at and to say, you know what? I agree with that. I, th these are the nine essentials of, of, of how we operate it. For, now I'm not saying like there aren't other things that aren't important, but, but here would be the nine things if you would want to make Fern Creek your home that I think hopefully you would say, yep, absolutely, with all my heart, I believe that. So here's the first one, and it's a shame we've got to start here. God is the creator. <laughs> it's a shame you've got to start there, but that's, that's where we start, right? We, we believe that, that God created, right? So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we read, For by Him, by God, by God, God created all things. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So we believe with every fiber of our being that God spoke into the darkness and He created everything. Things you can see, things you can't see. He, he fashioned the first man took some dust and dirt and molded a body and breathed the breath of life into, into Adam. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. He was not created. <laughs> no one stands with Him, before Him, above Him, and God created us. So we, we believe you didn't get here from goo to you via the zoo, okay? That's not how you got here. You were created by a divine Creator, you're not a cosmic sneeze. You're not just an accident that happened. And let me, let me prove it to you. Anybody ever been to Mount Rushmore? Have you? It's on my bucket list, right? So let's say we're all at Mount Rushmore, and let's say we we take the thirty-five dollar tour, right? However much it is, and and, and so we we get our tour guide, and he's in his little ranger uniform. And he says, "Folks, follow me," and and we we stand before Mount Rushmore, and he begins to tell us the story of how Mount Rushmore came to be. Folks, 200 years ago, Wild Bubba Brown, the explorer, was out here roaming around the countryside, and. And he, was, uh, he got lost, and, and he just so happened around the corner, and lo and behold, Wild Bubba Brown looked up, and he saw the four faces of these men that had been carved into the, 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 the wall by the winds and the rains. 
So, so, so it, you know, the wind and the rain fell, just so happened to carve out the faces of these four men who would one day become president of the United States. So Mount Rushmore is just what we would call a random accident. Folks, my tip jar is right over there. Thanks for coming to Mount Rushmore. Now, now would, you, would you buy that? Why, why not? Why wouldn't you buy that Mount Rushmore was an accident? Yeah, I mean, there's no way. There's no way that it could, it could just happen like that. There, there's got to be design. There, there, there's intent, right? And, and so the argument, you know, again, there's a whole science of study called apologetics, how to defend your faith. And, and there are some things that you just got to cut. You come to the end of your rope and you go, you know what, I, I, I believe that. But there's a lot of this stuff, my friends, that you don't have to check your brain at the door. You, you don't have to be afraid of science. You don't have to be afraid of archaeology. You don't have to be afraid of, you know, astronomy. All this stuff ought to point us to God. And, and, and so if you, you know, so, so Mount Rushmore, you, you would never buy that. Why do we buy that all of this happen by random chance. If you do any study on the eyeball, I mean, the cones and rods and how your eyeball works, they say the eyeball is irreducibly complex, meaning it couldn't have evolved. All the bits, all the pieces have got to be there at the same time in order for the eyeball to work. A mousetrap is irreducibly complex. A spring couldn't have evolved into a hammer. A hammer couldn't have evolved into a base. A base couldn't have evolved into the, the tree. You see what I'm saying? All the bits have got to... So, so the human eyeball could have never evolved. Scientists will tell you that. But they, they say that, that it did. And, and, and so I'm just saying, you know, when you think about it, there is no building without a builder. There is no Mona Lisa without a painter. There is no creation without a creator. So we believe that, that there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God who created. I think it takes way more faith to be an atheist. I, I get into discussions with atheists and evolutionists, and I often say to them, you have way more faith than I do, and that torques them. That really gets them. What do you, what do you, what do you, what it does. If you're walking in the desert and you walk upon a watch, laying in the desert, you can believe one of two things, either over the millions and billions of years, the sand and the wind whipped together and compressed and lightning came and boom, you got this. You can believe that. Or you can believe what? Somebody dropped it. Somebody, dropped it, somebody made it. Somebody designed it. Which is easier to believe? It's easier to believe somebody designed it. And so, you know, not only did God create the universe, He created us. And God wants to know us. In your notes, Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that God rewards those. This is not just a God who wound up His creation and wandered off leaving it alone. No, no God, God wants to know us and love us and He rewards us. James 4, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. So we often say in our church, God's not interested in religion. We're not... We're, we're not religious people. We're relational people. God wants a relationship with you. And he, he knows the number of hairs on your head. Some of us make it easier for him to count, but he knows even the numbers of hair on your head, right? So if, if, if you look, I've given you a couple of different sheets. I've given you some student notes, but I also gave you a one pager of, of the nine bullet points. So if you'll take a look at that, 
The first essential is we believe in one God, creator of all things. He's an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, and eternally good God. He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's our first, that's our first big, big boulder. The second big boulder is we believe in the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. In your scripture right there, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now look at that passage real quick and tell me the first word. All. All. <laughs> How much scripture is God-breathed? A quarter, three quarters, the Old Testament? The, no, all, all of it. Cover to cover, that Bible that we stand on is the authoritative, inspired word of the living God. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about the inspiration of Scripture. He says, you've got to understand, no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's creation, the prophet's interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of men. But men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. That word carried is an interesting naval term. It, it, it's like a ship that carries men. The apostles were held by God, and He carried them as they wrote what we call inspired Scripture, right? So the men who wrote the Bible were carried by God. Now, let me, let me help you with something. Your belief system will be shaped by the very first verse of the Bible. The very first words of the Bible say, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. If you believe that, you'll, you'll not have any trouble with the rest. If you believe that God out of nothing can open His mouth and boom, create the cosmos, every other thing after that is, is, is a piece of cake. So if I believe God created the heavens and the earth, if I believe He could do that, I, I also believe He could carry these men along and make sure what they wrote was accurate, trustworthy, and true. That, that's no problem to God if He created the cosmos. Um, so we believe when it comes to the Scripture, again, it's inspired, it's, it's authoritative, it's not Matthew's, it's Matthew's writing, but it, it, Matthew's writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under, under the influence of God. So what we believe is every person mentioned in the Bible was a real person. Every miracle that happened in the Bible is a real miracle. Do, do, do me a favor, turn to your neighbor, and have a little discussion. Of all the miracles that you've heard that took place in the Bible, which one do you think sometimes your non-believing friends scoff at? Just turn to your neighbor and just, what, what miracle do people have a hard time buying? All right, give me, give me, give me a couple of Give me a couple of examples. What, what, are, what are some miracles? The virgin birth. Virg yeah. How can a virgin have a baby? Come on. Well, that one is also um, uh, the uh, rabbis will tell folks that the word actually translates back to meaning young girl. Yeah, see? Yeah, oh, what it really meant. Yeah, <laughs> we got to explain that. But, but, but let me stop you right there. Could a virgin have a baby today? Yes. Yeah. It, we figured it out. <laughs> and if we figured out how that could happen, I, want, I bet you God, there's a whole lot smarter than us, could, could figure that out too, right? But, but all right, virgin birth. What, not, another miracle that people... A donkey! That sounds like Shrek. A donkey that talks! <laughs> oh, come on, yeah. 
You know my favorite, my favorite one, Jonah and the whale. Jonah, yeah, Jonah. Now, well, first of all, first of all, you, you know the story. Prophet Jonah, God says, go and preach to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was like, they were the enemy of Israel. And Jonah's like, ah, forget you. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to Hawaii. And he gets on a boat and he sails the other direction. And in the middle of the night, the storm hits and people are going to, we're drowning. And Jonah says, I'm running away from God. Throw me over the boat and you'll live. And they throw him over the boat. Right at that moment, a big whale breaches the, the surface, swallows Jonah like Pinocchio got swallowed. And the whale swims for three days and then all of a sudden barfs Jonah up on the beach. And as Jonah's wiping whale vomit off of himself, he looks up and there's a sign that says Nineveh two miles. So, okay, I'll go. And people say that. You know, well, first of all, first of all, did you know the Bible? I, I believe this is a totally true story. And let me tell you why. First of all, did you know the Bible never says Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Yeah. Sometimes we think the Bible says things it never says. Um, if I had my laptop open, I would have, I'd give you a test. Well, let me just give you a test anyway. What, what book of the Bible does this come from? What book of the Bible does this come from? Neither a lender nor a borrower be. Psalms or Ecclesiastes? Turn to your neighbor and tell them. Psalms or Ecclesiastes? Neither a lender nor a borrower be. Oh, oh I, 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 I'm tricking you. It's not, it's Shakespeare. It's Shakespeare. <laughs> But, but see, I mean, sometimes we think the Bible says things that, you know, I, I tricked you, I tricked you. The Bible never says Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It says it was, he was swallowed by a fish specifically designed by God. This was a very unique creature that God specifically designed for this sole purpose. Right? Now, uh, let me ask you this question. Have you and I as human beings, have our, have our species been able to design a vessel that could keep men and women alive under the water? Yes. What do we call it? A submarine. We've been able to design a vessel to keep lots of men and women under the under the for now again, if you and I could could figure that out. Almighty God, again, Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he could do that, he could design a special fish to keep this man alive. Let me tell you another reason why I believe it. Jesus believed it. Jesus believed it. In your notes, um, Matthew chapter 12, look what Jesus said. He says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Why would Jesus take an allegory? Why would He take a mythological story and tie it to His physical resurrection? Well, He wouldn't. He, he firmly believed firmly understood that Jonah, the Jonah account was real. So, so what we're saying about when we come to the Bible, to reject any portion of the scriptures, like changing the markings on a ruler. If you just change a millimeter, you throw the whole thing off. And what I'm suggesting is, if you don't take the Bible cover to cover as the inspired Word of God, then how do you know anything else is true? If you start to cherry pick and you start to say, well, this, this bit isn't trustworthy. Well, then you've opened the door. To, well, how do I know Jesus really rose from the dead? How do I know he really took away my sin? So, so, so again, you're coming to a church that handles the word of God as the authoritative inspired word. And if there are things in that Bible that I don't get, I yield to it.
if there are things in that word that that I struggle, that I, I yield, I yield to it, right? Because again, it's 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 the word of of God. Uh, no archaeological discovery has ever come out of the ground to disprove or discredit the Bible. If you ever come with me to the Holy Land, our, our, our guide is one of my best friends, and he dug in Israel. And man, everything that comes out of the ground proves, 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 proves the Bible. Not one thing have they ever pulled out of the ground. I could talk to you about the Hittites. They used to laugh about the Bible. So, you know, there's a lot of ites in the Bible. Hittites, Jebusites, parasites. No, not parasites. They're probably a lot of ites. And, and the Hittites... There was no archaeological evidence for a group of people ever called the Hittites. Oh, the Bible's just making that up. Well, lo and behold, many, many years ago, they found archaeological evidence. They found the Hittite library. And so what I'm showing you is you don't, you don't have to slough when it comes to the Scripture. Prophecy, really interesting. You know what prophecy is? It's, it's the study of future, like, like, like somebody, sometimes you go through the checkout line and you see the National Enquirer, Jeannie Dixon makes pro. you know, I don't know if that lady's still alive, but people who predict the future. The Bible contains over 2,000 predictive prophecies. So men and women, well, men, men who wrote, you know, about the destruction of Tyre, or, you know, the destruction of this, you know, God would speak hundreds of years and say that this thing was going to happen. And so, man, every single time, man, it happened, right? Jesus, before, I mean, thousands, thousands and thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, he'd be born of a virgin. He'd be born in Bethlehem. His body would be gambled over. He would be crucified between two thieves. He'd be buried in a borrowed, in a borrowed man's tomb. So there's all these predictive, 2,000, 2,000 predictive prophecies. Every single one of them, man, we've got, we've got evidence that they've come true. The next, the next religious, you know, Judaism, Muslim, Buddhist, you know, every other religion, the second place religion has how many predictive prophecies in its sacred writings? Take a guess. We got 2,000. The next, I'll just tell you, one. The Quran has one little prophecy about Muhammad. So, so what I'm showing you is like, like this thing is the word of, this, is, uh, this isn't just a book. This is the book, right? And it's trustworthy and it's true. So it come down to the second little bullet. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Each book is trustworthy, reliable, and it contains the final revelation of God's will for humanity. The Bible is our final authority for our life, our faith, and our church. And I put in there, it's the final authority, because you've got crazy, crazy people who will stand up and say, well, God spoke to me and He gave me a new word. It's like, no, no He didn't. <laughs> We've got the final word, and that, that's the authority of the Scripture. So that's... Yeah, the Bible is the Word of God. Third, third bullet point, the deity of Jesus. Jesus was remarkable. 100% man, 100% God. And that, that's, that's wild to think about. Jesus got sick. He got hungry. He got tired. He got the flu. But He's 100% God. He could walk on water. He healed the sick. He forgave sin. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. Uh, there are a lot of people who come around and they say, well, Jesus, he, he was just like Gandhi. He, you know, he was just a nice, a nice man and, and did nice things. No, you, you can't do that with Jesus. J Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. 
And that's what got him killed. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, look down there at John 5.18, the Pharisees got tired of him. They got sick of him because he kept claiming to be God. So in, in John chapter 5, verse 18, the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. They knew exactly what he was doing. And that's why they tried to stone him and kill him. And, you know, he's bla blasphemer. You're, you're making yourself equal. Well, that's exactly what he meant to do. So when, when you've got these people like Oprah and all these other people who say, you know, he, he was just a good human teacher, just a good man, you, you, you can't do that. And let me show you why. This will never, ever happen, and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm just trying to show you what Jesus did. If I stood up this coming Sunday, and I said to you as the church, I have an announcement to make. I'm here today to let every single one of you know I am the Son of God. You, you would be like, he, he, he got sunstroke. <laughs> He burnt his poor bald head. Like, like he, he's a What do you mean you're the, I mean, you, sane people don't say this. Do you see what I'm saying? saying? Gandhi never claimed to be God. Mother Teresa never claimed, because they weren't. So, so when Jesus stands up and makes this claim, he no longer is in, in the category of good guy. Uh, C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia? Are you familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? C.S. Lewis um, wrote that trilogy. He, he, he grew up as an atheist, but he became a Christian. The Chronicles of Narnia are his, his thoughts about the kingdom of God. Really kind of cool. Aslan the lion, the symbol of God, right? C.S. Lewis becomes one of our greatest theologians. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about this whole nonsense of Jesus being a good guy is. He said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing you dare not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You've got to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human moral teacher. He did not leave that open for us. He didn't intend to. So do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus claimed to be God. And if he wasn't, he was crazy or he was demonic. So don't, don't ever, well, he's just a great Lord. No, 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 no. You, you, you can't, you wouldn't leave that option open to anybody else. You can't leave it open for him. So, so again, the fundamental uh, is we believe Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross as a sacrifice to redeem humanity's sin. He rose physically on the third day, sits at the right hand of God. He's our great high priest who speaks to God on our behalf. He's preparing a place for us. When everything is ready, He's coming back to judge the world. We believe in the deity of Jesus. And number four, the human race has fallen and needs a Savior. You know, we, we, we believe we are corrupt people. And if you don't believe that, watch toddlers play. Right? We, we, we have a corrupt, rebellious nature, right? 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Do you, do you, know, do you know why most people, most people believe in heaven? And most people believe when they die that they're going to go there. Now, why do you think they think that? What, what rationale do people give for, well, if I die, I'm going to heaven. Why, why, what would most people say? I'm a good people. I'm a good person. Like, I, I'm not Charles Manson. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm somewhere in the middle. God will grade on the curve. I'm okay. Right? I'm, a, I'm a decent person. L let me show you how depraved we are. Right? I, I'm going to give you a test, and I want you to keep score of your answers. Not person sitting next to you, but just keep, keep track of your own, right? I'm going to take you through the Ten Commandments. Because when we think about how good do you have to be? Like, if, you know, if I'm going to get to heaven because I'm good, well, how good do you have to be? Well, God gave us Ten Commandments. Letterman didn't invent the top ten first. God did, right? So, here are the top ten things that we ought to do to be good. Let me roll through them. Number one, you'll have no other gods before me. So, if God has always been the number one priority in your life, Nothing's come before him. You can count that as one you've kept. Number two, you do not, do not make an idol. If you've never gone outside and taken a chainsaw and chiseled out a big giant eagle or taken a big sand eyeball and bowed down to it, you can, you can count that as one you've kept. Number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. If you've never taken the name of God in vain, or the name of His Son in vain, if you've never been up on the roof hammering on a shingle and missed the nail and hit your thumb, if you only said, Julius Caesar, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you never said the name of God in a derogatory sense, you can count that as one you've kept. Uh, the next one, the fourth one, keep, keep the Sabbath day holy. If you've always been in church every single Sunday, and when you were at church, you never fell asleep during the sermon, because that wouldn't be very holy. <laughs> right, you can count that as one you've kept. The fifth one, honor your father and mother. You always gave your mother and your father the respect they deserve. You never talked behind their back. You never, you always gave them proper respect and count those one you kept. Do not commit adultery. You never slept with somebody's spouse other than your own. Now, now stop for a second. Do not commit adultery. So if I've never slept with somebody else and it's not my spouse, I, I can keep that. Well, hang on a second. Jesus comes along. Jesus, he always does this. Jesus comes along and he says, Moses said to you, do not commit adultery, but I tell you if you've ever lusted, if you've ever lusted after somebody, you've committed adultery of the heart. See, Jesus says it's a lot more than just the externals. Jesus says you can commit adultery of the heart by lusting after someone. So if you've ever lusted, Jesus says you can't keep that as one, one you've kept. Okay. Here's the next one. Do not commit murder. Uh, murder is before adultery. Do not commit murder. So if you never kill anybody. But Jesus also came along and He said, you heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder of the heart. So if you ever hated anybody, you can't technically count. Jesus says you can't count that one. Right? Uh, the next commandment, uh, number eight, do not steal. If you've never taken anything that didn't belong to you, you never took uh, a towel from a hotel, a pencil from the office, tires off your neighbor's car, you know, I don't know. If you've never cheated, if you've ever cheated on a test, that was stealing because you took answers that didn't belong to you. So if you've never stolen anything, you can count that as one you've kept. Do not lie if you've always told the truth. Ladies, when your best friend did her hair and it looked horrible, but you said, it looks great. If, you know, if you've lied, you can't count that one. The last one, do not covet. If you've ever wanted something that someone else had, so bad, like, oh, I want that. You've not coveted. You can count that as one you've kept. So that's the 10. Let's see how good we've been. How many of you kept all 10? 
If your hand is up, you lied. You broke the lie commandment. You can't, you can't count that one. All right, nine. Anybody keep eight? Seven. Oh, somebody's got to keep six. Anybody keep six? Five? What a horrible bunch of people you are. I, I figure maybe if I stretched it, I maybe have kept one, and I'm not telling you which one, <laughs> right? But I mean, so you see what I'm saying? Like, like there are people who think they're good. And, and the scripture says we're not. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, one person who keeps all the law except one is guilty is this person who's broken all of them. So James says, even if you just break one, man, it separates you from a holy God. So the fourth fundamental we believe is that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're all in a pickle, right? Fifth one, Jesus died to save us. This is so fundamental. Uh, Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. This is why Jesus came. We have been alienated, separated from a holy God. And the only way to fix that was Him. Um, this is why the crucifixion is so fundamentally important. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden, He prayed a little prayer that went something like this, God, let this cup pass from me. What was He saying? What was He, what was he asking God to do? Yeah, fight another way. Like, like Jesus knew what crucifixion was. If you ever come with me to the Holy Land, we'll stop at Sepphoris, which was the town right across from Nazareth where he grew up. Uh, Roman history tells us that the, that the Romans crucified, I think, 500 men on one day and lined them along the road right next to where Jesus grew up as a little boy. Jesus is very familiar with crucifixion. And Jesus says, if there's any other way to save mankind, man, I, you know, but, but your will be done. So here's what I'm telling you. If you could get right with God by hugging a tree, Jesus never had to die on the cross. If you could get right with God by like living a good life, Jesus never had to die on a cross. If you could get right with God by bowing down to this idol and praying this prayer to this God, or then He never had to die. I'm just, what I'm showing you is the cross is central. Without the death of Jesus, we're doomed. And if there's any other way, he never had to die on the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Let me, let me show you this in your notes. Colossians 1.19. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were once his enemies. Why? Because we've sinned, right? You were separated by your evil thoughts, separated by your actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He's brought you into His presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. We use that on Sunday, right? But you must continue to believe in the truth, stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. So what I'm showing you is, again, it's the blood of Christ. It's Jesus voluntarily laid his life down and said, I will be the bridge that gets them back to you. And if there were any other bridge, he never would have had to come and die on the cross. Okay. Um, number, so so the, the fundamental is we believe Jesus came to save us. Salvation is found in no other name than Jesus. Salvation came with a price, and that is the precious blood of Jesus. So, so, so again, when, when people say, well, all people go to heaven... 
I, I have to go, well, what does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say that. And even though I wish maybe it did, it doesn't. And so I've got to say, well, my belief is based on the premise that it, that's not the way it works. Because Jesus had to die. And, and again, it comes to our sixth fundamental. You've got to accept that. Salvation must be accepted. See, He came to die for everybody, but you've got to accept that. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God saved you by His grace when you what? When you believed. Right? So, so there, there's, there's a part that He did, and there's a part that I've got to do, right? You can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast. So Jesus did His part. He died to bring us back. That's a gift, but you've got to receive that gift. Okay? Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. <laughs> you've got to open the door for Jesus to come in. You, you've got to accept this wonderful gift. So let's, let's just say, let me, I love word pictures that helps me tie Scripture together. Let's just say at the end of the class tonight, there were, if there were 25 of us, there were 25 little boxes on the table out there. And I have a little present for all of you. There, everyone take a box. And so everybody takes a little box and you open it up and there's a, there's a key in, in the box. Well, what is this? And I said, well, go outside. And you walk outside and there are 25 brand new Corvettes. This isn't happening, by the way, so don't, you know. 25 brand new Corvettes, every key to a different vet. It's a gift to you. Now, in order for you, in order for you, you, you would have to do what? In order to receive that? Get in the car and go, right? Yeah, I mean, you, what good would it be like, woohoo, and then you just run off and get in your car and drive home? You, you've got to take it and use it, drive it, right? And, and so Jesus has done this unbelievable thing, bringing us back, but he says, it's your choice. It's your choice. I'm not going to force it on you, but you've got to choose it. You've got to accept it. And so it comes to this last, you know, this sixth fundamental. We believe salvation is a free gift that must be accepted. Every person has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Sin has separated us from our loving God, can only be mended with a relationship with Jesus. God continues His loving pursuit of humanity in the hope that all will be saved, that everyone will choose Him. But He's a perfect gentleman. He stands at the door and knocks. And you've got to decide what to do with that. Number seven, the Holy Spirit helps us on our journey. Um, now, when I became a Christian, I understood God the Father. Well, I say understood. You know, I, I, I could track with God the Father. I could track with Jesus the Son. When it came to the Holy Spirit, I was like, I didn't really understand the Holy Spirit. Like, what, what does He do and what's that all about? But we believe this fundamental principle, the Holy Spirit helps us. Look at John 14, one of the prayers of Jesus. Right before He, he, he goes to the cross, He says, If you love Me, you will obey what I command. Now, I'm going to ask the Father... And He's going to give you another counselor to be with you, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you will know Him, for He lives with you, and He will be where? In you. So, so, so the Holy Spirit is the presence of God that comes to live inside me. I never walk alone. I, I've got the Spirit of God living in me. So we believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they were all three in one. 
Now this is the part I don't, I don't understand. I don't know how that works. We try to get cute with it by saying, well, it's like an egg. You got the shell and then you got the hard boiled egg and then you got the thing and then you got the yolk and, or it's like the water. Water can be steam and, and it can be ice and it can be liquid. Those are all futile attempts to try to explain this. I don't get it, right? I, but, but he's three in one, right? Now, there are things about God that you'll never be able to explain. If you could explain it, if you could wrap your arms around God, He would not be God. <laughs> so, so, so again, but we believe that the Spirit of God is one of the members of the Trinity. Now, let me talk about, about the Holy Spirit for a second. We are not a charismatic church. Have you ever heard that word, charismatic? Okay. Charismatic are the folks who are very, very... Um, uh, expressive in their, and, and they believe in like speaking in tongues and, you know, uh, you heard a guy named Benny Hinn. You remember Benny Hinn? He would shake people and, oh, you're healed. And they'd fall over. And, and um, th th those are charismatic. Now, and again, they're, they're brothers and sisters. And again, I don't want to make fun of anybody, but we're, we, we are not a charismatic church. The, <laughs> I remember dating a girl once in Bible college. I didn't grow up in the church and, and, and she, uh, her dad was a preacher and we dated for a couple months and, and she said, well, why don't you come home and meet my dad? So we went to her church and it, uh, I walked into her church and I thought the sign said Pentecostal. It said Pentecostal, right? But Pentecostal, I thought, is that a church by the ocean? Like I didn't know anything, right? But a Pentecostal church, it's a very charismatic church. And when I walked in, like I didn't know, I was like, what am like, like they were dancing and jumping and, and all kinds of, you know, just, just very expressive things that I just wasn't used to. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And, and, and uh, he, he knew we were dating. And so uh, this is like gospel, like, like, like uh, it came to time, he says, does anybody need a healing? And I'm like, what, what do we need? I don't need a healing. Who needs a healing, right? And the guy right in front of me said, preacher, I've been having demon, demon headaches. And, and the, her dad ran up, jumped on the pew, grabbed the poor man by the head, started shaking his head, just, yeah, yeah, and casting the demon out. And he, I was like, you're going to break the man's neck. What? And he got done after five minutes of this. And then he just, he just stood there and he looked at me and he said, does anyone else need a healing? <laughs> I went, nope, I'm good. I'm good. But it was just, it was just this very charismatic. And, and, and so I'm just telling you, like, th that's fine if, if there are you know, people who want to do that, th this is not one of those churches. We, we believe the Holy Spirit lives in us, but we are not a church where we're going to be speaking in tongues. And, and I, I believe in healing, but I'm not going to, no one will claim I, I can heal you. Well, if you can heal somebody, go to that hospital and heal everybody in that hospital. I believe in healing. I believe in the Holy Spirit, but we're, we're not this charismatic you know, branch of, of the church. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you that, you know, I just want you to know that, that up front. But we believe the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's the fundamental. We believe the Holy Spirit can mix the world of sin, assist the believer in the pursuit of holiness. He lives inside each believer when they surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. He empowers each believer with unique spiritual gifts to use for the advancement of the kingdom. He guides teaches, comforts, seals the believer until the day of Jesus returns. We do not practice speaking in tongues in our corporate worship services. So again, the Holy Spirit is who God left to guide me and empower me and equip me. Right? Number eight, we believe Jesus is going to come again to judge the world. Thessalonians says, brothers, do not, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. There's that word again. Remember we talked about it Sunday? Sometimes Jesus said, oh, they've only fallen asleep. Paul, Paul does it too. About those who've died, fallen asleep. 
or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, rose again, and we believe that He will bring, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. God's come, Jesus is coming back. Did you know there are over 300 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ? 23 of the 27 New Testament books talk about the second coming. On 15 different occasions, Jesus said He was coming back. The Bible talks eight times more about the return of Jesus than it talks about the coming of Jesus, right, by name. So when Jesus comes again, He's going to judge the world, right? So we believe when Jesus comes back, it's, He's coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to judge the world. I'm going to skip Revelation 20. You can read that, but that just talks about the, the judgment, that Jesus is going to judge, judge the world. Everyone will stand before Him. And when you're judged, you're not going to be judged based upon, you know, what did you, what are the great things that you accomplished in your business? It's going to be, what did you do with Jesus? Right? I mean, that, that's, that's the test. What, what, what did you do? Did you, did you accept Him? Did you embrace Him? Did you live for Him? Or did you reject Him and, and tell Him to get out of your life? Did, you know, did you surrender to Him? Or did you shun Him? So here's the eighth fundamental. We believe Jesus is coming again to judge the world, defeat the devil, and lift the curse of sin and death. And then the last one, the last fundamental that we believe is eternal reward or punishment. Now, I wish, so here again, like, um, I wish the Bible, there are pieces of me that wish the Bible never talked about hell. I understand why it does, right? I mean, I get it. I get that's where the devil's going to go. But the Bible talks about hell. And there are a lot of Christians that say, oh, no, hell is here on earth. There is no hell. No one goes there. And if you read your Bible, you've got to say, no, that's not true. Jesus talked about hell, right? Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. He will say to those on His left, this is part of the judgment, depart from Me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said hell was originally designed for the devil and his angels. But if you don't choose Him, you get what they get. Okay? He says eternal fire. He doesn't say a fire that goes out one day. No, it's an eternal fire. This is a, I, I, teach, I teach heaven, hell, angels, demons, right? I'm going to try to teach that maybe in the winter, right? But um, there are so many verses that, that Jesus Himself talks about. He uses the word Gehenna, that's the word hell. The valley of Ben-Hinnom, that's where the trash burnt in Jerusalem. He says that's that's I mean that's, that, that's what he's talking about, right? So, so the Bible talks about hell, and I won't unpack that anymore. But talking about pun there, there will be punishment, right? I want to talk about heaven. So uh, Jesus talks about heaven, about going to prepare a place, and um, you know heaven's going to be wonderful. Everything that was broken is now redeemed. Everything lost is now restored. Um, we're liberated from the curse of, of sin. Let, let, me, so let me just give you a little snippet of, of my class, Heaven, Hell, Angels, Demons. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Um, Peter answered Jesus, We've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I'll tell you the truth, at the, what's the next word? Renewal. Huh. At the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne. The Greek word renewal means reborn, at the rebirth of all things. 
at the restoration of all things. When all things are regenerated, right? I used to think that we would, when Jesus came back and takes us to heaven, the world's going to like blow up. We'll all like, woo, we'll float up and woo, we float forever, right? And that's not the case at all. In, in, in the class I teach, I, I show you that we retain our identities. Did you know that? We retain our identities. Jesus said, we will sit down at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on earth must be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. You on earth will be you in heaven. Me on earth will be me in heaven, except I'm going to have Fabio here. I told you, that's coming. That's in my, in my new body, right? You might not recognize me. But we keep our identity, right? We'll be reunited with our loved ones, never having to say goodbye. Jesus talks about heaven as, as a place of... I mean, heaven's a walled city and there's gates that are never closed. What do gates do? They let you come in, they let you go out. So men will travel and explore in heaven. Think about all the things that won't be there. No more pain, no more crime, no more hunger, no more jealousy, no more war, no more anxiety, depression, no crutches, no chemo, no dialysis. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the mute will speak. No Weight Watchers, praise God. No funeral homes, no graveyards. Can you imagine this place that Jesus says, awaits us. And I want to just, just kind of close it down with my favorite passage, probably one of my favorites in the whole uh, New Testament, Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them. They will be His people. God will be with them. <sighs> he will wipe every tear from their eye. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no crying. There's no pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. So the last fundamental is we believe heaven and hell are real places, eternal places. And we will give our time, talent, and treasure to rescue as many people as we can who are heading to hell and point them to heaven. So as we wrap up tonight, the nine essentials God created, the Bible is the Word of God. We believe in the deity of Jesus. We believe the human race has fallen. We believe Jesus died for our sin. We believe salvation must be accepted. We believe the Holy Spirit fills and helps us. We believe Jesus is going to return to judge the world. We believe in the eternal reward and the eternal punishment that Jesus talked about. So what I'm suggesting to you is there's a lot more to the faith than what I just shared with you. There's a lot more. But, but, but these would be nine of the things that I hope you would say, you know what? If that's what the Bible says, I believe that too. So those are our nine doctrinal fundamentals and foundational beliefs. Next week is baptism and communion. I want to tell you why we're the dunkers, and I want to tell you why we do communion every week, because those will be our two fundamentals. Thanks for hanging out. Let me pray. We'll be done. God, thanks for today. God, thanks for your word. Uh, thanks for the, the Bible that speaks truth and love. God, we live in a world where, where doctrine is being watered down, where churches are just, preachers are just uh, drifting farther away and farther away from Your Word. God, help us to be drawn back to Your Word and, and to stand on it uh, unashamedly, but with a spirit of love. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for tuning in. 
I hope that message encouraged you to love, live, and lead like Jesus, to become a disciple that makes more disciples. That is why Fern Creek Christian Church exists. Hey, I want to take a second to invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings, either online or in person. We have three services, one at 845 that we call our homecoming service. That features more hymns and southern gospel music. But then we also have two contemporary services at 10 and 1115. If you would like to give to the ministry happening here at Fern Creek, I want you to go online to our website, www.ferncreekcc.org, and click on the big giving tab you'll see on our main page. If you would like to talk more about the message you just heard or you would like to pray with somebody, call us at 502-239-9300. Again, that's 502-239-9300. Or email us at office at ferncreekcc.org. If you're not already a member of Fern Creek, I want to encourage you to become one. Man, we want you to connect with other believers. We want Fern Creek to be your home away from home. And we just have an amazing church family that you can be a part of. If you need encouragement, inspiration, accountability, man, Fern Creek is the place for you. Check us out on a Sunday morning. You won't regret it. Thanks again for tuning in with us today. Hope you have a blessed rest of your week. Grace, peace. See you next time, church.